The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
The message the Lord has given me today is entitled, Taken by the Hand. Taken by the Hand. O Lord, would you quicken this word to our hearts? And would you take us by the hand today? And would you draw us out of the wickedness of this world and into the glory of your kingdom? For Lord, we've gathered in this house to honor your name, Jesus. We've gathered in this house because our hearts are hungry to know you, to be like you, and to be filled with your spirit. Lord, we come today to humble our hearts before you and to say, would you have your way? Thank you, Jesus. I pray by your blood and in your name. Amen. It was evening. He was sitting at the gate of the city as he normally did. He was a respected citizen. He was a man very well, well off. He was wealthy. He had two daughters, very worldly daughters. His name was Lot, the nephew of Abram. As he was sitting at that gate, Two angels came, walking in the cool of the evening. It doesn't tell us if he recognized them as angels, but he quickly greeted them. Knowing the wickedness of the city that Sodom was, he welcomed them into his home for hospitality. They declined. They insisted they would stay in the city street all night, in the city square. He pressed them hard and said, No, come to my home. All of my hospitality will belong to you. And so these angels went that evening to stay in the home of Lot and his wife. That evening, the men of the city gathered in wickedness to abuse and to do detestable things to these two strange men. To commit homosexual acts of rape and sodomy. Lot tried to interfere. He tried to protect his guests. But they were stronger than he. And so now in Genesis, the 19th chapter, we have the angels reaching out and pulling Lot back into the house and shutting the door. And verse 11, it says, And they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness. But that word blindness does not just mean the closing of the eyes. Literally, it means to make dizzy, to disorient. So they were blind in their disorientation and they could no longer find even the house. I wonder what the conversation was that evening around the dinner table. They were together all that evening. The angels give the word, we are going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Now there was no rest that night. They were trying to figure out what to do. And the angel said, do you have anyone else in this city? Oh, yes, we have our prospective sons-in-laws. Go get them and tell them we're going to destroy this city. And so Lot hurries out, no longer fearing the men of the city. He has a mission on his heart. He goes to these men and he says, the Lord God of heaven is going to destroy this city. You must flee with us. And the men laugh at him. They laugh at him. They've never heard Lot speak with such seriousness. I wonder how many of your grandchildren have ever heard God speak with seriousness through your heart and through your mouth. If you were to go to your family and say, the word of the Lord has come to me, destruction is coming upon the city, would they believe you? Or would they laugh at you? 
I fear that we've become so social in our relationships with others that they don't know who we are in Jesus Christ. And it's time for them to know this. Lot comes back alone. Dawn is breaking. They're hesitant to leave. What should they take with them? How can they pack the house? The animals are all out in the fields. They can't go get the donkeys. How can they transport their goods? Finally, we're told in verse 16, Genesis 19, verse 16, when he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of the two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives. Don't look back. Don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains, or you will be swept away. And again, we see Lot's heart. He comes back saying, No, I can't flee to the mountains. I want to say very clearly to you today, Go where God tells you to go, because God will meet you where he tells you to go. If you go where you want to go, God will not meet you there. You may say, but I don't like that place over there. Go where he tells you to go, because God will meet you there. Lot's only security was the covering of Almighty God. His covering was not his sheep and his cattle. His covering was not his servants. His covering was not his house in Sodom. His covering was only Jesus Christ. His covering was the great God of heaven. And now he wants to flee to another town. Didn't he learn when he was with Abraham? He looked over all the land. And he said, I see Sodom and Gomorrah. I see the plain. It's like Egypt. I'm going to go to Egypt. Always the flesh of man wants to go to Egypt. And God is always saying, don't go to Egypt. Go to my mountain. Always it was the mountain where God met his people. It was Mount Sinai where God met his people. God spoke from the mountain. Jesus came. He sat on the mountain and spoke the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in the Greek meaning absolutely no ability to work hard and earn my living. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's always been at the mountain where God has met his people. It was Mount Carmel where God lifted up that altar and brought fire down. Always it's been in the, in the mountain where God has come. And always man wants to go to the city and the bright lights, and the things of the flesh. And the Lord won't meet us there. The Lord meets us in the mountain. The angels, not wanting to argue with him, say, go ahead and flee to Zor. But don't look back. Don't look back. And the Lord rained down sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah. In verse 25, thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Now listen to what's so terrifying about this. Lot's wife made it through the first great drama of God. The temptation to stay in Sodom, she was able to overcome. But now, the second temptation comes sweeping in, and this time the temptation is to look back. Why would she look back? What did she have back there that she so desired? I can tell you she had social standing. She had her job. She had her prospective sons-in-laws. She had all of her money. 
Maybe she had that Persian carpet on the floor. Oh, she had everything back there. But why would that be so important to Lot's wife? Because when she was back there, she was somebody. While they were with Abraham, she was nobody because Abraham and Sarah, they were the leaders. She didn't want to stay with them. She convinced her husband, let's go to the city. You can sit at the city gate. We'll be somebody there. She's looking back at her reputation, at her pride. I got a hint of that in the New Testament from Jesus. I want you to look at it with me. In Luke, the 17th chapter, verse 28. Luke 17, 28. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Jesus is saying that's what Lot's wife was concerned about. All of her goods that were back there in Sodom. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife? Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be one in bed and the other will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. This has no reference to a secret rapture. This is speaking about when the final end comes, even as it came to Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot was taken out of that city and the rest were destroyed. And now Jesus is saying it's going to be the same way at the end of time. A husband is going to go to heaven and the wife is going to go to hell. A neighbor is going to go to heaven. But another neighbor is going to go to hell. One person sitting in church is going to go to heaven. The other person is going to go to hell. Why? Because their heart is set on all of this stuff. Their heart is set on their reputation. Their heart is set on belonging to the city instead of the mountain of God. Jesus is saying to us, whoever loses his life will preserve it. Well, how do we lose our life? I'll tell you what the Lord said to me this week. It was in a dream. I'd been restless. I'd been crying out to the Lord. I'd slept very little. I'd begin to go to sleep and the Lord would call me. I'd have to get up and go pray. After I'd prayed, I'd go back to bed sleep a little more, and the Lord would call me, and I'd get up. It was one of those nights where it was just, the Lord was struggling with my heart. I was saying, Lord, show me. I don't understand what you're saying to me. Would you just speak it to me? Would you be clear with me what you're saying? And as he sometimes does, gives me a dream. 
I was in the house. The windows were all open. A bluebird flew in, went into one of the cupboards, and I knew he was nesting there. You understand, bluebirds are probably my favorite birds. They're gentle. They fly away quickly. I was so happy that bluebird nest was in the house. I walked down past it, and as I walked down past it, a voice spoke, a gentle voice. And the voice said, drop all sense of self-importance. Drop all sense of self-importance. Even in the dream, I was startled by it. I wouldn't speak that way. I'd say, humble your heart. I'd say it in a, in a, in a rougher way. In this dream, I walked by this cupboard probably five or six times. And every time I walked by it, the same voice spoke. And the same voice said, drop all sense of self-importance. And I awakened and did not sleep again that night. I began to search my heart before the Lord. Say, Lord, where is this sense of self-importance that you're wanting me to deal with? And I recognize that from the time I was a small child, I have been success-driven. I have always been oriented toward achieving the goals that I have. I've always wanted to be certain that my family was provided for. I've always wanted to make certain that I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. I've been very careful and sensitive about issues of of causing disagreement or, or hardship for others. And a part of that has been wound up in this inner sense that I'm somebody. And the way to be successful is to be very careful, to be wise. And so I began to recognize that the spring that keeps moving me forward is a sense of desire to be successful. And so a sense in my inner being that, yes, I'm achieving my goals, therefore, I'm somebody. And Jesus is trying to say to me, Ray, you are only somebody in me. You're not somebody because you achieved your goals. You're not somebody because you've been successful. You're not somebody because you have a house or a car. You're not successful because you have herds like Law had. No, instead, if you're at the mountain of God, all sense of self-importance has to be laid down. I recognize that for me, this is dying. And it's so very difficult to even begin to deal with. Our sense of self is revealed in the way we walk. It's revealed in the way we dress. It's revealed in the way we use our money. It's revealed in the way we spend our time. Our sense of self is revealed in all that we do and say. And out of that, does Jesus shine forth? Is Jesus our self? Or is flesh our self? And then the Lord began to take me to some passages in the New Testament. The book of James, the fourth chapter. 
This is Pastor James speaking to his congregation. Now today, if a pastor spoke this way, most would become very insulted and even get up and walk out of the service. But this was James' sermon, Pastor James, in the fourth chapter, the fourth verse. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that Scripture says without reason that the Spirit He caused to live in us envies intensely? But He gives us more grace. You understand why in the context He's giving us more grace? Because it's grace that uncovers our sin. And we need grace to deal with this issue of self-importance. It says, quoting here, Proverbs 3.34, Pastor James says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. You see, a sense of self says, Submit to no man. I will do what I have to do to accomplish my goals. That's the self. That's the sense of self. But Pastor James comes and says, No, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. And some of you have said to me, I feel so far away from God. You are far from God. There's only one way to change that. To go where God is. We can't live in the world and pretend we're one of them. Claim our citizenship is as a sodomite. We can't make that claim. Our claim has to be for the mountain of God, that we are children of Jesus Christ, that we honor and adore and worship Jesus and none other. So if we come near to God, he will come near to us. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. See, I've been so accustomed. I've been taught that if it's going to be, it's up to me. It's not up to me. It's up to Jesus. This sense of self has to be laid down. And the word of the Lord to me was, drop it. I said, Lord, what's that mean? Just open your hands and let it fall. But it might break. I might need it again. Can I put it on the shelf? No, open your hands and let your sense of self, your pride, just let it drop to the ground. Let it be crushed. Well, what will others think? Well, it doesn't matter if it's broken. No longer, do I con- no longer am I concerned about what others think. I'm concerned about what Jesus thinks. I'm concerned about what Jesus thinks because he's the one I'm going to meet. I want to be like Jesus so that when I see him, I'll be like him. I want Christ to be formed in me. I don't want the world to be formed in me. I want Jesus to be formed in me. So Jesus is saying, open your hands and drop this. And I began to think about, what about my anxiety? Any of you have anxiety? What if things don't work out? What if, what if, what if, what if, 
And then if but, if but. And maybe, maybe I could. Maybe I could do this. Maybe I could do that. Let's come up with a plan. No, Jesus says, let your sense of self drop. If you have anxieties today, it's a sure sign that you have self clutched firmly to your heart. Anxiety always comes out of a concern for self. And if that self is dropped to the ground and our heart and our face is turned toward the mountain of God, our anxieties are gone. Now, you can go to the psychiatrist. You can get all kinds of medications. You can go the the way of the world. But you'll not find peace there. Peace is only found at one place. And that's at the cross of Jesus where self is crucified and I lay down my life and Jesus now takes responsibility for me. And now my call is to walk in humble submission to Jesus. I read his word, I pray, I wait upon him, and I do exactly what he tells me to do. And so when I have anxieties, I've learned that they're friends of mine to tell me, drop your sense of self. As soon as an anxious thought now comes to my mind, I'm not going to let it break my peace. I'm going to let it drop to the ground. You see, we have the choice of picking up our anxious thoughts and clutching them to our breath or we have the option of dropping them to the ground and picking up Jesus and saying, Jesus, you're the bread of life. You're all I need. I trust you. Now, what would you have me do? He created the world. Do you think he can't figure out what your agenda should be? Isn't Jesus wise enough to know how to order the steps of his people? But Pastor James was not the only one to say this. Peter said the same thing and quotes the identical scripture. This was a popular New Testament church sermon. 1 Peter, the fifth chapter. We'll begin with verse 5. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves with humility. Notice he speaks first to the young men. He says, young men, humble your hearts. But then he says, and now all the rest of you, you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, before or under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. What would you think if a daughter would come to her daddy and say, I'm so so worried about whether the Mortgage can be paid on this house. You'd say, why, sweetheart, do you think I'm not going to pay the mortgage on the house? I mean, the little girl. Oh, daddy, I'm so concerned that we're going to get put out of this house. Well, sweetheart, haven't I always paid the mortgage? But daddy, they might come and turn our electricity off. Well, sweetheart, haven't I always paid for the electricity? I mean, what can this little girl do to earn enough money to pay for the mortgage? Not a thing. What can this little girl do about paying for the electricity? Nothing. That's a daddy's responsibility. What can you and I do? 
to get the sun up in the morning. Have any of you awakened the sun in the morning? Have any of you put the moon to bed at night? No, we're dealing here with things that are far beyond us. You think Jesus cannot handle what he sees happening in our lives? You think he is not worthy of trust and honor and love? See, the problem we have with Jesus is not Jesus. The problem we have is our sense of self, our self-importance. And it's this sense of self-importance that the Lord is saying, drop it. He takes us by the hand and he kindly and gently leads us to safety. In every situation, he takes us by the hand and he leads us to safety. But if we rebel against him and say, I don't want to go to the mountain of God. I want to go back over here to this city. I'm going to feel more comfortable going over here to Egypt. I'm comfortable in Egypt because I know their ways. I don't know what's going to happen on the mountain. The Lord won't meet us in Egypt. The Lord's going to meet us on the mountain of God where he calls us to walk humbly before him. All of the anxieties that arise in our heart spring up from this wickedness of being self-centered and self-concerned and self-consumed. And Jesus is saying to us today, drop your sense of self-importance. Let it, let it fall to the ground. Don't pick it up anymore. Let it go. In the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look out not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place. See, we're convinced that if we go to the mountain of God, we'll perish there. We always feel more secure in a place where we have our skill and our ability and we can twist things to our advantage and we can somehow win what we want to win and achieve the goals that we want to achieve. But the Lord God of heaven says, success is always going to flow from the mountain of God. It's never going to flow from the ways of the flesh. Oh, temporarily, it may look like you're getting ahead in the flesh, but this life is very short. And there's a judgment day coming. There's a day of destruction coming on this earth as certainly as it came upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And on that day, everything is going to be judged. And every person is going to stand before that bar. And I know Jesus is going to want to know, did you flee to the mountain or did you flee to, to Egypt? Where did you flee? Where is your security? What gives you standing? He says, therefore, my dear friends, in verse 12, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And so I have to say to you today, it's up to you to work out your own salvation. Everything has been done at the cross. Jesus paid it all at the cross. And now the question is, what will we do with what he's given us? And and Paul is saying to the church at Philippi, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, 
Fear and trembling, work it out. What's he mean? Walk into this sanctification. Walk into this holiness. Obey the word of the Lord. Do everything without complaining or arguing. The complaining and arguing always arise out of a sense of self. Fights arise out of a sense of self. So that you may be blameless and pure, children of God, without fault, in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. In order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, and you too should be glad and rejoice with me. See, the picture that Paul has is this awesome place of glory where Jesus Christ resides. And our interest must all be focused on Jesus. That's where we're going. He holds eternity in his hands. But it means we're going to have to drop this sense of self here. We're going to have to let it go. We're going to have to pick up the cross and follow Jesus. Today, have you been overwhelmed by self? Do you carry pride in your heart, bitterness, anger, contempt? All of those come out of a sense of self, rebellion, indignation, selfishness, coldness of heart, anxious. All of that comes out of a, a sense of self. And the Lord is saying to us today, drop it, let it go. Oh Lord, this is a work that you must do in my heart, or now that you have exposed this in my spirit. I ask that you would finish this work. But Lord, not just in my heart, would you finish this work in each of our hearts today? Lord, the pride rises up in rebellion. The pride rises up thinking we've been treated wrong. Or the pride rises up in contempt for another. Hardness of heart, bickering. Oh Lord, this pride rises up and blocks my face from yours. I ask today, Jesus, that all pride would be cast down. That no longer would there be any self-consciousness in our hearts. Lord, it's our desire to be on that journey to the mountain of God. Lord, would you be praised in this house? Would you be honored in this house? Would you minister repentance and confession and grieving in our hearts for the wickedness that we've walked in? Lord, accomplish in this house this work of breaking. Lord, this is a work we can't do by ourselves. This is a work we need your Holy Spirit to come and, and move in us with and uncover with your grace. Lord, you've called for us to be a people humble of heart with no pretense, no vain imagination. Lord, would you do that in our hearts? Lord, this root is so deep and so powerful and it must be dealt with, Jesus. Lord, we're the least of all your children. But Lord, our pride rises before you. Just for me and you. Hallelujah. Oh, I surrender
so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. We're a house church located in Woodbridge, Virginia. Our mailing address is Post Office Box 2346, 
Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Come visit us at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. Come every soul by sin oppressed. There's mercy with the Lord. And He will surely give you rest by trusting in His Word. Only trust Him. Only trust Him. Only trust Him now. Save you, he will save you, he will save you now. For Jesus shed his precious blood, rich blessings to bestow. Plunge now into the crimson flood that washes white as snow. Trust Him, only trust Him, only trust Him now. He will save you, He will save you, He will save you now.